This is a special world report with a friend of Medjugorje. When ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. For these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be in divers places, and famines and pestilences, and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. Our Lady has come for more than four decades. We will never again have another Guadalupe. We will never again have another Lourdes Fatima Garamendel. Never again another Medjugorje. In the last sight marked by Our Lady, as of today, in the whole world, is the bedroom of apparitions, the field of apparitions, and the cross on Penitentiary Mountain. Our Lady said, May 2nd, 1982, I have come to call the world to conversion for the last time. Afterwards, I will not appear anymore on this earth. 49 days later, to make sure you understand what she is saying, the Blessed Virgin Mary repeats again, June 23rd, 1982. Our Lady said, quote, these are the last apparitions in the world. These present apparition sites is the battleground. August 2nd, 1981, Our Lady said, a great struggle is about to unfold. 
Why has our Lady come? Is this fulfilling the Bible? The scripture talks about the signs are clear. It's biblical. All these sites speak to us through the centuries, to our day that we live right now. And now she says, this is it. This is the last time I'm calling the world to conversion. After, I will not appear anymore on this earth. These are serious words. Do you believe it or do you not? How many of us have not comprehend how deep and serious what's happening? In Matthew 7, it tells us about it. Jesus was asked by the apostles because he just came out of the temple because it was destroyed. And Jesus started explaining in Scripture what's going to happen. What are we looking for? And it was signs. And he told us about signs. God has given us signs. Look at the signs, my children. Do you see what's happening? The seriousness is stated that this is the last operations in the world. We're coming to the end of the ages. And we are alive at this moment. Jesus relays to the apostles. Many will give up their faith at that time. That's in the scripture. And we've heard Ali says to us, this is my time. This is revelation. And the scripture says that man will betray one another and hate another. Many people's love will grow cold. Growing means something's going. What is weeds and alone? It covers everything and it grows. We see this in the world. Just only five or six years ago, we could not imagine what we're hearing and seeing and what man is doing now. God had to sin with all this, the woman of Revelation. We can understand who she is. She's in the Bible. Matthew says, at that time, what Jesus was explaining to the apostles, Matthew 24, 7 talks about the trouble at that time Jesus says, will be far more terrible than anything like this from the beginning of the world to this very day that we live in with the woman daily coming to us. Jesus continues, he says, nor will there ever be anything like it again. We are alive during something that is alive biblically, daily, and we still don't understand it and see it. Jesus talks about God, his Father. He says, he has already numbered the days. That's 2,000 years ago. God numbered the days because he said, if he did not, nobody would survive. And he did this for the sake of his chosen people, for their benefit. God will reduce the days. From back then, 2,000 years ago, to the future here, this fits us like a glove. Because he says, never from the beginning of the world, what is happening? We've heard Ali said to the visionaries, go out onto the streets and count how many people glorify God. So many people going to Medjugorje have not taken an end to the seriousness of what you just heard. What you're about to hear is from a pastor whose name is John MacArthur. He's a Protestant preacher. 
And what you're going to hear, you're not going to hear from the bishops. And some of the priests out there that try to say these things, the bishops are not going to let them do it. I recently was talking to a priest because he was strong. They made the priest retire. He's not the only one about. Our church is sick. The 10th anniversary, 1991, June 25th, Our Lady said to read scriptures to find out why I'm coming. Is that a firecracker? No, that's an atomic bomb. She said, go in the Bible to see why I'm coming. When I read that, it is what we call a Kennedy moment. And everybody that was alive, they could tell where they were and what they were thinking. That's what I felt on June 25th, 1991. What else can you say about that? There's no interpretation. And he's not saying, hey, go tell theologians and discern what it says. She just said, read the scripture, the gospel, to know why I'm here. That's what this whole broadcast is about. The Bible, Jesus, and the woman who is the mother and who is also the woman of revelations. Now here's some food for you from a Protestant. We open the Word of God now to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21 on the signs of the return of Jesus Christ. And to understand His return, we are sitting at His feet and hearing Him speak about it. Luke chapter 21 takes place during the last week of our Lord's life. He sits down with His disciples on the western slope of the Mount of Olives and tells them that He will return in the future to establish His kingdom. He will come in power and glory. The first time He came in humility to die, the second time He comes in power to reign. So we're learning about the second coming of the Lord from the Lord Himself. This particular message that our Lord gives is in answer to questions asked by the disciples. When He told them that He was going to come and bring the kingdom and bring the current age to an end and establish the glorious age of His kingdom, they wanted to know when. And Jesus gives them the answer. It is the longest answer to any question Jesus is asked in the New Testament, which reminds us that understanding the future, understanding prophecy, understanding the end of history is an important issue. It is not a minor thing or the Lord would have not taken so much time and given so much material in answer to a simple question. It demands some work, some study, but it can be understood, it should be understood, it has powerful impact on our lives now when we understand what God has planned for the future. 
If you look at the way the world is going today and you listen to the harbingers of future doom and those who take it upon themselves to warn us about what's coming, you would think that somehow everything has gone wrong and is getting worse and going down a track toward disaster careening out of control. We are constantly being terrified as a population by the things that could happen. We are made aware through the media, through people who warn us that at any point in time something could come careening out of outer space, the piece of some meteorite from somewhere or some other body crash into this planet and shatter it into a billion pieces and everything would be over. We are warned all the time of a depletion of the uh, ozone around the earth, of toxic waste on the planet, of potential plagues, of bacteria that are learning to morph themselves away from those kinds of antibiotics that have been used to treat them through the years and that are coming into forms that we really can't deal with. We are warned continually about the fact that the world is terrorized by people who have nuclear power, who are gaining the ability to wipe out cities, states, and perhaps even whole countries with this massive power bred by new science and new technology. There are a hundred different ways that we might be made afraid of the future. Has everything gone wrong? Has God lost control? Is He not the sovereign anymore? Is this a good idea gone bad? Wouldn't we have expected that after Jesus had come and died on a cross and provided salvation and said, I'll build My church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and risen from the dead and ascended to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit, that He was now in charge and reigning over the development of His kingdom, that everything would have gotten better and better and better? Well, there are people who think that. They're called post-millennialists, if you want a technical term. They think that the church is going to grow and it's going to get more powerful and more powerful until finally Christianity makes the world better and better and better and finally makes the world so good that we provide a kingdom and we call Jesus back to reign over the kingdom that we've provided for Him. Is that the plan? And has somehow that plan gone awry? The first time Jesus came, the ending didn't look good at all. He ended up on a cross like a common criminal, but that was reversed very fast as He came out of the grave on the third day and then visibly ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. But shouldn't history be somehow affected by the coming of the Holy Spirit and the development of the church, is this really the plan that we live on the brink of the next great disaster that could wipe us out as all prior civilizations have lived on that brink? What should the disciples have expected and what did Jesus tell us to expect? Let's look at the text and find out. Verse 8, here's His answer, when are you coming? When will it be the end of the age? See to it that you be not misled, for many will come in My name, saying, I am He, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Then He continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes, 
and in various places, plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for My namesake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. For I'll give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all on account of My name, yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives." In a word, that is a totally pessimistic view of the future. There isn't one hopeful element. Three things jump out of that. One, the age between now and My coming will be marked by religious deception. The period of time between the first and the second coming of Christ is marked by religious deception in the name of Christ, the flourishing, the development, the escalation and the growth of a false kind of Christianity. Secondly, it is not only marked by religious deception but by global disaster, global disaster involving war, disturbances, earthquakes, plagues, famines, terrors, and great signs from heaven. Thirdly, it is marked by believer persecution or distress. Look for three things, deceivers, disasters, and distresses on those who are believers. Really not what maybe you might have thought the Lord would set in motion. Now that I've come and risen from the dead and ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit and the kingdom will be built and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it, maybe you thought the next line would be, we're going to take over the earth, reduce all the natural disasters, reduce all the wars, and eliminate all persecution of the people of God, just the opposite. Escalating deception, escalating disasters, and escalating distress on the heads of those who belong to God. Look at history around you folks, it's right on schedule. In the meantime, Jesus says, here's what you can expect. Between His first coming and second coming, deception, disaster, and distress. Clearly pessimistic. Fallen world, careening, yes. A fallen world cycling downward, yes. Escalating deception, escalating disasters, escalating persecution. And it reaches its fever pitch right near the very end. It's described to us in careful detail in Revelation 6 through 19. There you have the details of the final seven-year period before the Lord establishes His kingdom. Horrific deception, horrific disasters, horrific persecution and distress upon those who name the name of Christ. It starts now, Jesus is saying, and it escalates until it reaches its 
highest point just prior to his return. Expect a constant array of deceiving false teachers. Expect physical disasters and expect persecution, all increasing toward the end. Yes, Protestants are not always understand everything in the scriptures, but as Catholics, for the majority, get a failing grade. As far as the Protestants, they have a failing grade about Our Lady, but we can learn from each other. Our Lady is here because Satan himself, he knows the hour is near, and we can know it. By what we talked about, Our Lady's here for the last apparitions on earth for so long, not speaking just to a visionary or six of them, but the whole world, because the hour's here. It's Satan versus Our Lady. That's the battle. And both of them are fighting for those souls. Why Our Lady? Because God is sending a woman to insult, to defeat the devil, a insult to crush the king of pride. Our lady has literally told us things about Satan. March 25th, 2020, she says, Satan is reigning and wants to destroy your lives and the earth on which you walk. See, he's reigning, his kinship, and he wants to destroy you and the earth. December 25th, 2019, Elise says, your heart yearns for peace. Why? Because it's Christmas day. But she says, your heart yearns for peace of which there is less and less on earth. That is why people are far from God and souls are sick and heading toward spiritual death. The woman versus Lucifer. Our lady talks to us on May 25th, 1995 how Satan is roaming after you. She says, Satan is strong and with all his forces wants to bring the most people possible closer to himself and to sin. That is why he is on the prowl to snatch more every moment. He is roaming for you. Dear God, and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Satan roams around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour us. 
Fear of the Lord leads to life. Fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. His holy people. Satan roams around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour us, but the fear of God will keep us. March 18th, 2003. My children, without God you can do nothing. Do not forget this, even for a single moment. That's where we are, people. 
We have lost everything. We have forgotten. And then he continues, For what are you and what will you be on earth when you return to it again? Do not anger God, but follow me to life. There is two choices, mankind. God, a lady, or Satan. And she's leading the battle against Satan. Do not anger God, but follow me to life. What is happening in the world right now? What's going on? What do we see? The whole world is on fire. Nature is turning against man. Things are happening across the whole world. Satan disguises everything. He is trying to take credit from God, making people think the signs in nature around us are from him, not from God. The way God created creation is that if man sins against God, creation defends God. Satan wants to confuse you of the things that's happening now. Satan is stealing the things that we look at now, and he's so deceptive that what's happening is global warming, climate change, all these things. It is not because of what man is saying, the cabal, that the world is being destroyed by man. It's not the case. They minus out that it's from God. So the climate cabal are actually even doing things. There are fires all across the world. In 2019, Canada had 3,000 fires for the whole year. In 2021, explain to me why there's 6,000 fires burning in Canada. Not for the whole year, but right now. Don't you think that's odd? My suspicion is when I read that, a whole year you may have 3,000 for a whole year, and now we've got 6,000 separate fires. What's doing that? Sounds like the cabal wants to set these fires so they can bring along the light of global warming and all these things. Isaiah, I quoted it before, Reason with me, saith the Lord. If you just think about things, you look at it from a distance, you'll be able to see through reasoning. God gives you that. I let it give a message that says, when you pray, everything's clear. If you don't, you won't see it. And you'll listen to the media because you don't have discernment. You got fires in California, Louisiana, unprecedented blazes in Alaska. They state it goes up like tinder. Wildfires in Minnesota is behaving like a freight train. That statement comes from the fire officials. June 7, 2023, New York forces a code red as millions from the East Coast suffer from Quebec's wildfires. You got the same thing in North Africa, Australia, there's fires, Siberia, wildfires, Israel, China, South America, Mexico, South Korea, New Zealand, Southern Turkey, Sardinas. Sardinia has the largest wildfires in decades, and it's devastating for Italy. It just continues. Why is this happening? 
We begin with the extreme heat, and that extreme heat, relentless heat wave. To the extreme heat, an unbearable heat wave. Have we entered the age of global boiling? This month is set to be the hottest ever on record, with heat waves and wildfires racing across the northern hemisphere. This summer feels like a page torn from the book of Revelation. The planet's alarm bells ringing all at once. For vast parts of North America, Asia, Africa and Europe, it's a cruel summer. For the entire planet, it is a disaster. The trend of extreme heat is evident all across the world. Greece's capital, Athens, is bracing for the hottest July weekend in 50 years. Relentless wildfires in the country are forcing tens of thousands of people to evacuate from the popular islands of Rhodes and Corfu. Italy, Spain and France are sweltering in a record-breaking heatwave. Extreme weather is rewriting records in China too. In India, a southwestern coastal state, Kerala, recorded 120 deaths due to a heatwave so far this year. Southern Europe continues to experience fierce heat. 20 cities across Italy have been issued red alerts. And even the continent at the bottom of the world, Antarctica, has registered unusually high temperatures. Experts expect more such record-breaking events in the future. United Nations warns that the Earth is now in an era of global boiling. Global warming has ended. The era of global boiling has arrived. We are going to see catastrophic wildfires in the coming decades. Catastrophic wildfires will be happening globally, and they'll be ramping up in the next few decades. Fire on the mountain through the fields. Save yourself. There's evil in the garden, but you don't see it, I can tell. If you reason things out, you realize what's happening, not what the people say, climate change what if you think a lady comes down and says on March 25th, 2022, and she says, mankind is at a crossroad. What are you going to think if you're in front of our lady and she tells you that? How do you discern that? It means we're going one way or the other way. Then she says to you, she's in front of you, she says, I am calling you to return to God. Why? Why is she saying that? Then she says, I am calling you to return to God and to God's commandments. How is that going to fix it? The climate change, the heat, the fires, all this stuff. What's going to happen? So what's that going to do? Returning to God's commandments. Our lady will tell you how to fix all these things. I am calling you to return to God and God's commandments that it may be good for you on earth. Is things good now? 
Satan is stealing God's warnings in nature and propagating instead the lies of climate change and global warming. And our lady is saying, it's not going good for you because of sin. Man has not accepted commandments. They don't even go confession for it. Jesus got the answer to repent, to confess that it may be good for you on earth to get away from what? And she continues, and that you may come out of this crisis. Yes, there is a crisis. There is a difficult situation happening around the world that it may be good for you on earth that you may come out of this crisis. Amazing. This message tells you everything. How to reason out things is happening. That you may come out of this crisis that you have entered. She's telling us all these things. We have entered into a crisis. And to make it go right for you, you've got to return to God. Not the climate people. Let's raise money and stop this and stop that. You're not going to do that. You've got to stop sin. You may come out of the crisis into which you have entered because you are not listening to God. You listen to the scientists and all these people and what they're thinking and what they want to deny in the sins. You are not listening to God who loves you and desires to save you and lead you to a new life. March 25th, 2022 is a bomb. Because it blows everything out of the water that people are saying. Sodom, they thought their uppity and their civilization was so great, God came down with fire on five cities. Sodom and four other cities around it. We have done more now than what Sodom is doing. They have now excavated and found Sodom. The evidence is incredible, amazing. So we're going to play a clip. Do you understand? Because what they're seeing is now, back then they were destroyed. We have it right now, and it's happening, and it's growing across the whole world, the LG people. And it's getting to a point where God's got to do something. He did it then. And he's not going to say, oh, this is modern times. I can't do it now. That's why I lay here. So that we can come out the crisis that's on schedule if we don't change. Listen to this. people are destroyed or destroy themselves the end of civilization for us today as we go about our daily lives it's barely something we consider we're so sure it couldn't happen to us 
But for some civilizations, it already has. The Bible. It's one of the most influential texts ever written. For millennia, it shaped the lives of billions of people. It holds stories of great civilizations, miraculous events, the Word of God. Many people see them as parables for how to live their lives. But for some, these stories are historical truth. Of all the events the Bible details, one remains shocking even today the destruction of Sodom. According to the Bible, Sodom was one of the five cities of the plain. It was remarkable for its wickedness. The tradition is that the sin of Sodom was what the Bible describes to be sexual perversity, specifically homosexuality. But is this really true? In the Bible story, God appeared before Abraham and told him his plan to destroy Sodom and the cities of the plain. For Abraham, it's a shocking revelation. His nephew Lot lived in Sodom. According to the Bible, Lot and his family were different than the other people living in Sodom. They would be considered righteous people. Abraham pleaded with God not to destroy the innocent and guilty without distinction. God assured Abraham that he would spare the city if just 10 decent people could be found there. God sends two angels disguised as travelers to meet with Lot, who takes them in. But when the news of the foreigners' arrival spreads through Sodom, the city descends on Lot's house and demands he hands them over. Immediately, all the neighbors are banging on the door saying, send out these two men so that we may know them. Lot says, absolutely not. You can have my daughters instead. They're virgins. You can do whatever you want with them, but you cannot have my guests. At that point, God steps in and says, no, the test has failed. It's damning. The angels allow Lot and his family to leave. But when they are gone, God levels the city with the remaining inhabitants inside. It would have been positively terrifying. God destroyed them in a shower of fire and brimstone, so terrible that no man could live in this land. The destruction was so complete that the city was abandoned for 700 years. It's a profound punishment for the city's sins. According to the ancient writings of the Bible, the Quran and the Torah, Sodom was supposedly part of what's known as the Five Cities of the Plain. For centuries, archaeologists have tried to locate it. I think Sodom is the epitome in Scripture of God's judgment against sin in the world. And it's, it's the engineer in me. And the theologian in me understands there must be a discoverable trail of physical evidence showing us what he did and how he did it. And that's what drives me. The more Dr. Collins studied, the more convinced he became that the Bible could provide clues to the location of Sodom. 
The Middle Bronze Age fortifications were stunning to me. We estimated the rampart system itself took somewhere between 40 and 60 million mud bricks to make. It was obviously a, a highly centralized government who could put such a project together and complete it. I've worked on um, many archaeological excavations. I've never seen such a huge site. The Tel Hamam is about six times as big as the old city of Jerusalem. Crucially, the team discover layers of ash throughout, ranging from half a meter to two meters thick. Evidence that Tal el Haman was destroyed. And they're convinced it was destroyed in the Middle Bronze Age. Mixed in with that ash are pieces of pottery that we can identify with that Middle Bronze Age date. The evidence indicates the site was burnt in 1700 BC. And as Dr. Sylvia sifts through the ash layer, a picture of a great destructive event emerges. Among the ruins, they find a large 180-kilogram saddle kern that workers use to grind grain. That's called a saddle kern because you basically would straddle it like you were riding a horse, and then you would run your grinder back and forth like this to grind the grain. But for Dr. Sylvia, the position of the saddle kern doesn't make any sense. It was literally blown off of its dirt pedestal onto its side on the ground in a northeasterly direction. The team are intrigued by how such a large, heavy object could have been blown over. And it's not the only object. Across the site, they uncover artifacts and structures that landed in the same direction, seemingly pushed by some catastrophic force. You find bits and pieces of pottery, everything you can imagine, strewn for six, seven, eight meters across the floor to the northeast. So everything has this directionality to it. Everything inside there is churned up and full of ash and pottery and broken mud bricks. And everything about it is, is catastrophic. The team has uncovered evidence of a great destructive event hitting Tal el Hamar. The team make a chilling find. We start finding human bones, piece of a pelvis, piece of a knee bone, piece of a femur. One of them was only existing from the mid-femur down. Everything else is missing. And the place where the separation occurred is severely burned. It's almost like they were burned off. They appear to have been bodily slammed up against one of the very thick walls and then fell to the ground and were covered in ash and in material there. These were not lovingly placed burials. These were people who wound up in these positions by some sort of violent event. In another section, they find further evidence that the inhabitants were killed by an intense force. In the Middle Bronze Palace area, two skulls emerged. We have no lower jaw bones on either one. One, we have the entire skull and it is smashed down. One has a piece of pelvis right here next to the, next to the fragments of the skull. They are literally blown to bits. For Collins, 
The location of the skulls is key. We are eight meters down and a meter deep in the destruction matrix. There is no doubt, zero doubt, that these two individuals, these two skulls, fragments, belong to the Middle Bronze destruction event itself. The body is just not designed to stand up to that kind of force. And it, it's both shocking, it's, it's both traumatizing, but on the other hand, as, as an engineer, as a scientist, it's absolutely fascinating. The team believes they are getting closer to discovering what destroyed this city. But so far, nothing conclusive which tells them this might be biblical Sodom. 21 meters wide and 14 meters high, with towers on either side and up to six chambers. The Tal el-Hammam team are gradually unearthing the secrets of a vast metropolis, spanning an area approximately 150 acres, with an estimated population of up to 65,000 inhabitants. It had all the features of a major, major city center. I mean, in, with its palaces, its temples, its residential areas, its streets, its massive fortifications, its satellite towns, its massive agricultural areas that it could take advantage of. It had everything to make it great. And this is what the Bible describes, and this is what the archaeology confirms. It fits the geographical clues in terms of location. It fits the time frame in terms of its occupation history. To me, I, I don't see what other conclusion you can come to. When you get an earthquake, the ground moves back and forth. We are in a north-south strike-slip zone. In, in the region around Tal al-Hamam. So when you have earthquakes there, things tend to move north and south. And so walls tend to fall in both directions. But all of the material evidence we're finding is pushed to the northeast and only to the northeast. It's very monodirectional. Crucially, the team make another discovery which suggests that the site remained unoccupied for approximately 700 years. The team have uncovered evidence of a thriving Middle Bronze Age city, destroyed by a violent event, followed by a 700-year period where the site remained largely abandoned. For them, the location of Tal el-Hammam and its scale indicates it could be Sodom. But they're no closer to explaining the cause for its catastrophic demise. Then, in 2011, Whilst excavating a section of the upper city, Dr. Collins's team make an extraordinary discovery. They found a piece of pottery in the Middle Bronze Age layer. Thousands are scattered throughout the site. But this piece is different. On one side, the fragment looks like regular Bronze Age pottery. But on the other, the surface is green and glass-like. It looks like one side of it is superficially melted. The fragment looks as though it's time-traveled from a later era. What in the world is a piece of glazed pottery doing down here this deep? 
Could it offer any clues for the cause of Tal al-Hamam's destruction? Collins takes the strange-looking piece of pottery for analysis. When the results come back, they are quite literally out of this world. We know that now from the tests, everything about this particular melted surface of pottery shirt is physically identical to Trinitite. The word Trinitite comes from the codename Trinity, used in the first ever detonation of a nuclear bomb. The test took place on the 16th of July, 1945, in the Jornada del Muerto Desert, New Mexico. When the Trinity bomb was detonated, it released the equivalent of 21,000 tons of TNT. That's actually slightly more than the, the nuclear bomb they dropped in Hiroshima in World War II. In the aftermath of the explosion, scientists noticed a strange substance all across the surface of the desert. When the bomb exploded, uh, it sends out a big fireball and that creates a huge mushroom cloud, a big uprush, and it took a whole load of the sand up in there and that um, basically melted because of the immense heat and, and then rained back down onto the desert, which cooled really quickly and then formed this glassy trinitite. The melted glass-like surface of the sand is similar to that found on the pottery shirt at Tal el-Hamam. When it's analyzed further, experts discover something else, zircon. Zircon's a naturally occurring mineral that you can find in rocks pretty much all over the world. Looking at zircon under a microscope, what you'll see is, is a, it's like a crystal-like structure and very, very regular with very sharp jagged edges, basically. But the zircon inside this piece of pottery is different. This zircon was actually a lot smoother, and kind of more like a teardrop. Experts conclude that the zircon in this fragment must have undergone an extreme process to create such a strange shape. It suggests that this, this zircon has been heated up to a really high temperature, uh, such that it, it even melted, and then it had cooled very quickly. Because otherwise you'd get, you know, the more regular-looking looking zircon that usually takes, you know, thousands of years to cool down. The fragment must have been subjected to extreme heat for it to have melted this way. A normal fire will burn at somewhere between 600 and 2,000 degrees Celsius. For zircon to melt, though, I mean, you're talking at least 4,000 degrees Celsius there. That's over double the hottest fires. Now, the surface of the sun is about 4,000 degrees. So you're talking about temperatures equivalent to the surface of the sun. And as the excavation continues, the team unearth more and more pieces of extreme heat-blasted pottery. Every place we've excavated across the site, we have found indicators of these high heat events. Every place we find bits and pieces. What kind of thing could do that? From the evidence at this ancient site, we know there must have been incredible temperatures, much hotter than a regular fire and it created a substance very similar to trinitite. But of course, there weren't nuclear bombs back then, so what could have caused this? Well, one possible option is a meteor. Now, 
At our site, there is no crater on the ground for us to point to and look at and say, aha, here's, here's the conclusive evidence that we have some kind of astral body coming in and hitting us. Uh, we don't have that. But meteors don't need to make impact to unleash their destructive power on Earth. An incredible concussive force and a blast of high-intensity heat can result from a rare cosmic phenomenon known as a meteor airburst. An airburst can be when a, a meteor uh, in the Earth's atmosphere explodes in the air before it's hit the ground. The damage on the ground from the explosion can be devastating. Firstly, you've got this really hot rock, the meteor, in the air. That's radiating heat that can set things ablaze. Now, when it explodes, you've got the big shock wave. Um, that can also take temperature with it, so, so you can feel a heat rush. The amount of devastation you're going to see really depends on the size of the rock. Bigger meteor, more destruction. So what you just heard, was that a myth? Sodom is real. The Bible is real. The word abominable is defined as worthy of causing abhorrence as a thing of evil omen, odious, very hateful, detestable, loathsome, unclean. And you could keep going. The word apocalyptic means relating to the total destruction of something, especially of the world. It means relating or involving predictions about future disasters and the destruction of the world. It's infallible when something is scientifically has proof the community can accept it. Sodom is proven, biblically, and with physical evidence so what's happening right now do you think that god is not going to do something 10 out of 50 states hawaii is in the top 10 abominable not only just abominable look it up for yourself if you look on travel it says maui 2023 travel guide it says, hotels, bars, and events. What do you want to discover? What is the abominable scene like? It's the best on Maui. Another lesson states, things to do and see as part of the LG community. Maui is home to a thriving LGB community that supports LG false unions. In other words, that's the place to go get married. Another listing states, Maui is a popular stop for all abominables wherever they are. They're calling from the world for you to come. It is the second most visited island for abomination. Another statement 
Welcome to the LG family Allen of Maui. Discover abominable, friendly Maui. It continues, Maui has been home to LG film festivals, showcasing a diverse range of LG themed movies. Isn't that nice? There are several more headlines and articles, but they go into things we don't talk about on this world report. Are you thinking, these poor people on Maui, how can I say is Sodom? But what I can say, those practices are there, as well as different places of the world. We know there's people on Maui are innocent. Nor are they for it. What would God say? He's changed their mind and he's okay with it. God still destroyed Sodom, but he told Lot, get out. Get out of these places. I'm telling you, get out. And you look at what I defined to you, you should wake up. March 25th, 1990, our lady says, Dear children, I'm with you, even if you're not conscious of it. I want to protect you from everything that Satan offers you and through which he wants to destroy you. As I bore Jesus in my womb, so also, dear children, do I wish to bear you unto holiness. God wants to save you and send you messages through men, nature, and so many things which can only help you to understand that you must change the direction of your life. Therefore, little children, understand also the greatness of the gift which God has given you through me, so that I may protect you with my mantle and lead you to the joy of life. I've been in Guam. I've talked about this before. I was asked to speak. First, I talked to a school, and I talked at one church, and then the next one, everybody came before the next church, and to the next and the next, seven churches. They couldn't even get inside the church. The whole island. The next time Marie came to here, we had people flying all the way from Guam. Surely there's people on my way that know about Medjugorje. But wake up. You're not going to change this place except by fire. Yes, there's some good people there in the midst of it. But where these places are overrun are either growing day by day with their filth and what they are, and denying that it's not a sin, there's only one to purify. Around 1965, in grammar school, I remember our teacher, a nun, talking about the flood and that God made a promise he would never destroy the world again. And his sign is a rainbow. Before that happened, there was no rainbows. God created that to show his fatherly Love that he won't ever again destroy the world by water. And I remember asking the nun, I raised my hand, what would happen when the world gets bad again? And she said, not even missing a second, it's going to be by fire. And I was stunned by that. 
And she said, it's going to come down from heaven. I asked, how can you say that? She said, because it's biblical. I didn't know how she got that out of the Bible, except from Sodom, and we're there. Sodom had the innocent people there, and God sent two angels there to lead them, and not to hesitate, but leave. But also there's something in the biblical part. These abominables wanted the sons, and it's so disgusting. Lot said he was willing to give his two daughters to the Sodomites. Can you imagine a father do that? Because it's such a sin. So I ask you a question. Is God changed? Is the sin decreasing or growing? And it's getting to a point now that it passes Sodom. Alabama just passed sweeping laws to protect children. What is the measure of Sodom? And what they were doing to what the world is seeing now for children, how long is God going to wait? And it's not always without signs. Maui is a sign. I'm sure there was lots there. There's 13 states against the Bonobos. These 13 states have passed laws that allow discrimination against the Bonobos and their lifestyles, etc. All these omens, fires all over the world. God gives us signs to convert and return back to Him. The Father, there seems a parallel of the history of the world that God is saying something to us because we have gravitated closer and closer to Sodom. So with all these growing abominable LG communities, they're putting their fist up in front of God. On the other hand, we had many states protecting, defending the lifestyle, passing laws to protect them. Recently, the governor of Alabama, Kay Ivey, signed a measure. She said, quote, There are very real challenges our young people, especially with today's societal pressure and modern culture. Unquote. Then she said, publicly, to the news, quote, I believe very strongly that if the good Lord made you a boy, you are a boy. And if he made you a girl, you are a girl. It's not complicated. They have made this world, and we have let them, and we have made the world with them by being silenced. We don't stand up to them. You're not going to do this. We don't accept it. It's a molestation of the mind of children and confuse them. And Jesus was very, very serious how this sin is. What these teachers are doing and what they are doing to children, that is better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the river for those who kill the innocents of the little ones. How long is God going to sit there Who's giving us time right now is Our Lady to wake everybody up. If you have to move to a more biblical place, leave. Don't do what Lot's wife did. Everything about their lifestyle is twisted. This is the world we have allowed, and this is the world that they have made. It's not enough. I'm not going to be like that. But that's what they want to do. Uh-uh. Why do we have laws? Go down the road. Run through the red lights. Sooner or later, 
Someone's gonna crash into you. And that's these people is gonna crash into you. Where the fires hit, witnesses described the island as desolate. Desolate is defined as a place void of people, a state of bleak, dismal emptiness. We know very clearly that we had three secrets to purify ourselves. Our mentality, maybe physically, we don't know. But it's coming and it's real. And they're the secrets of Medjugorje. Has our lady given any clue about these? The third she has, but the first and second, we speculate. But it's going to be something for the purpose to purify mentalities and the souls and help you go toward God or more against Him. 
Our Lady did show Mariana the first secret, as we understand it, because Mariana said, the earth was desolate. On October 25, 1985, Our Lady gave the following message to Miriana concerning unbelievers. They are my children. I suffer because of them. They do not know what awaits them. You must pray more for them. Our Lady showed Miriana the first secret. The earth was desolate. It is the upheaval of a region of the world. In the world, there are so many sins. What can I do if you do not help me? Remember that I love you. God does not have a hard heart. Look around you and see what men do. Then you will no longer say that God has a hard heart. How many people come to church, to the house of God, with respect, a strong faith, and love God? Very few. Here you have a time of grace and conversion. It is necessary to use it well. Our Lady is here to give us a way out. On March 28, 1985, Our Lady said, Dear children, today I wish to call you to pray, pray, pray. In prayer you shall perceive the greatest joy and the way out of every situation that has no exit. Those of you who are trapped in sin, enslaved by it, and you wake up and realize You're losing your soul. The message just said, there's a way out. You can change. You can be renewed. God's children, not Satan's children. It will come to you. If you open up and pray, it will come to you like a wave. You are not stuck and you're not trapped. She's here for you. Thoughts that I can't explain Chemicals in my brain Move at a different pace And I can't keep up Comes to me like a wave All this anxiety I wanna scream But the words are stuck Trapped inside this head of mine That spins
through the tears When it's so dark in here I'm numb to the fears, the ring in my ears Year after year now The pressure is piling on But I'm gonna come out strong Make a diamond out of me Ooh, I'll shine eventually Trapped inside this house dark you have no way out break through the breakdown fight and survive until you find a way out she is here for you you speak to her she'll speak to you she has the way to free you what you're about to hear now will in many ways confirm and support Magigoria. On June 18, 1961, four young girls had a remarkable experience. There, in a tiny hamlet of about 300 people and 80 stone houses with no running water in the mountains of northern Spain, these four young girls, about 12 years of age, had an encounter with heaven. In 1961, as color TV was making its way into American homes and the invention of the fax machine was underway, life in the small village of Garabondal was far from modern or convenient. Electricity, which had become common in half of all homes in the U.S. by 1925, was only available for a few hours each night. TV and cars did not exist in this village. The people of Garabondal lived by raising cattle and working the land. There was a small church in the village, but because of the remoteness of the village in the mountains and lack of a parish priest, the priest from a nearby village would travel on horseback to say Mass once a week for the villagers. On June 18, 1961, four 12-year-old girls were playing together near the village. Suddenly, they heard a sound like thunder and saw an angel, who later revealed himself as St. Michael the Archangel, 
standing before them in dazzling white. The angels said nothing, and the girls ran away frightened. However, over the next few days, St. Michael appeared to them again, yet said nothing. Finally, on July 1st, the angel spoke for the first time to tell them that on the following day, the Blessed Virgin Mary would appear to them as Our Lady of Mount Carmel. The next day, July 2nd, Our Lady did appear to them as Our Lady of Mount Carmel, holding the infant Jesus with two angels at her side, one of which was St. Michael. Over the course of her apparitions to the four girls, Our Lady foretold three momentous events that would occur in the future. First, a worldwide warning that will be seen and felt by all. Second, a miraculous sign that will be left at the site of Our Lady's apparitions in Garabondal within 12 months of the warning. This sign will be indestructible and something not seen before. Third, a final chastisement if mankind does not repent after experiencing the warning and the miraculous sign. The apparitions of Garabondal occurred from 1961 to 1965. One of the visionaries, Conchita, explains in further detail the warning. The Garabondal visionary Conchita shared the details of an important message she received on January 1, 1965 from the Blessed Virgin Mary. It is a message announcing an event that will affect the entire world, all people and an event that no one will be able to avoid. It will be so strong that some people will not survive it. The following is Conchita's description about the warning. On January 1st, 1965, Our Lady told me during an apparition that a warning would be given to the whole world so that the world could be changed. It will come directly from God and will be visible to the whole world. No one can escape it. We will feel it physically and internally. A warning is like a punishment, terrifying for both the good and the bad. It will be like the revelation of our sins. We will see the consequences of the sins we have committed. The warning will bring the good closer to God and will warn the wicked that the end of time is coming. This should not be confused with the end of the world. It will be like fire. It won't burn our body, but we will feel it in our conscience. No one can stop this from happening. It is certain. Although I do not know anything about the day or date. The warning is something supernatural and will not be explained by science. No man can do it on any explication, human way you can explain. If you can feel uh, inside you, if you can see where you are. It eyes. will be seen and experienced by all people around the world and will be a direct work of God. But they don't, don't go hurt you. It's not going to hurt you? No. If people die from it, it will only be from the emotional shock of seeing it. In that moment, we're going to see our conscience. You're going to see what everything wrong you see, you do it. You're going to see everything wrong, yeah. what you're doing. And you're going to see everything um, 
Good, you don't do it. Everything good that you're not doing? Yeah. It will encourage us to think about death. That is, we would rather be dead than to experience a warning. The warning will be recognized and accepted by the world. I think that those who do not despair will experience great good from this for their sanctification. This will happen at the moment when communism is re-established in the world. Now give us the final message. Yes, it was June 18, 1965. The angel came and gave me this message. As my message of October 18, 1961 has not been complied with and has not been made known to the world, I'm advising you that this is the last one. Before the cup was filling up, now it is flowing over. Many cardinals, many bishops, and many priests are on the road to perdition and are taking many souls with them. Less and less importance is being given to the Eucharist. You should turn the wrath of God away from yourselves by your efforts. If you ask his forgiveness with sincere hearts, he will pardon you. I, your mother, through the intercession of St. Michael the Archangel, ask you to amend your lives. You are now receiving the last warnings. I love you very much and do not want your condemnation. Pray to us with sincerity and we will grant your request. You should make more sacrifices. Think about the passion of Jesus. This ends part one of the special world report titled, Have We Entered the Age of Fire? with a friend of Medjugorje. Our Lady has used a friend of Medjugorje to define Medjugorje to the whole world. 
Part 2 will broadcast this Thursday, September 7th at 8 p.m. Central Time, USA. You won't want to miss the conclusion of the special world report, Have We Entered the Age of Fire? Tell everyone you know.